Good afternoon, Crossroads. Uh, I'm excited this afternoon to start a new series. Uh, so for the next couple of months, we are going to be looking at uh, some of the biblical books that we call wisdom literature. So we have some books in the Old Testament, uh, Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Songs. They give us wisdom for life. Wisdom uh, is how we live in the gray areas. Wisdom is how we move forward when they're not moral choices. It's not right or wrong. It takes wisdom to navigate the different seasons that we live in. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. We're not going to look at every single verse, but we're going to try to draw out some main themes. And today, what I want to talk about is a subject that we don't normally think a lot about, and that is the time, times and seasons. We don't think about the time very much because we all get our time mostly from our phones. And if we change time zones, our phone updates automatically. If there's daylight savings, we wake up the next day and it's like magic, our phone automatically changes. We don't think about the time. But of course, it wasn't always that way. Um, our our uh, ancestors, they lived by the sun. When did it rise? When did it set? They lived by the seasons. Was it fall? Was it winter? Was it spring? Was it summer? Was it time for planting? Or was it time for harvesting? Right? All of those rhythms of life navigate, help people navigate what they were doing. What they worked on was dependent on the season. Now, when we think about uh, our standard time, we know that it wasn't always that way. Our ancestors look at the sun, but also it wasn't standard between here and there, different countries, different time zones. In 1884, there was a conference, the International Meridian Conference in Washington, D.C., and they set the global clock. So before 1884, there was no standard time. But now we move forward in our lives mostly with disregard for the seasons. But when we look at the biblical uh, wisdom books, especially Ecclesiastes, we see the author very concerned about what time it is. Very concerned about what season that we are in. We tend in the modern age to ask questions of what. What do I need to do? What do I need to work on? What's the next thing for me? The author of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, as he calls himself, is concerned about when questions. When is it? What season are we in? God, I want to hear from you. I want to know what time it is, spiritually speaking. In the New Testament, we have two words for time, chronos and kairos. Chronos is time that can be measured. It's our watches, it's our clocks, it's our calendars. Kairos are these God moments, these God seasons. And what we're going to see in Ecclesiastes is that God today wants us to wake up to Kairos time. That it's not just about us marking off the days on the calendar or getting through the week or making it through the summer, but in fact, God wants us to take a step back and ask the question about when is it? What is the season that God has put me in right now and how do I act accordingly? So if you have your Bible, Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This is what the text says. 
For everything, there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the busyness, the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful, to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. So very broadly speaking, what the teacher is doing is he's saying, listen, for everything, there is a season. Our lives are lived by seasons given to us by God's gracious hand and God's design. We should not expect our lives to unfold in in steady, unhindered progress. We often uh, think life should be this way when we are very young, right? All of my life should be harvest season. All of my life should be growth season. All of my life should be happy season, joyful season, prosperous season. And then as you get older, right, you learn that, no, actually, there are not all harvest seasons. There are seasons of pain, suffering, grieving, mourning, seasons of laughing, seasons of crying, seasons of toil, and seasons of rest. Our lives unfold much like the seasons of the earth. It's not always fall. I love fall. I'd keep fall all year long. But winter comes. Not all seasons are harvest. There has to be a season of planting. So the teacher just wants us to step back and acknowledge that we live in these seasons, and then he, he breaks into this poem. Very famous poem because of the song from the 60s, Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds. Mm-hmm. Turn, turn. Right? right from this text. But what he's, he's doing is giving a long list of opposites. It's a, a, a figure of speech. It's a literary device called a merism, which presents two extremes, And those two extremes represent the totality of a subject. So, for example, Genesis 1 is a merism. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does he mean? In the beginning, God created everything. The heavens, the earth, and everything in between. So that's what the the poet is doing here. He's saying um, there's there's a room for a full range of experience. There's a time for birth and there's a time for death. And for all the moments in between, there's a season for weeping and a season for laughing and all the emotions in between. There's a time for planting and a time for plucking up and all the emotions in between. I mean, all the, excuse me, all the work in between. Our lives are lived in seasons and those seasons are given to us by the loving hand of God. Therefore, we have to understand that God has not put us in our current season by accident. 
He doesn't want us just to jump over this season so we can get to the next season. I think so many of us miss what God has for us in our current season because we wish we were in another one. Gosh, I just can't wait until this one is over and we move to the next thing. And God is like, this one's not an accident. If I wanted you in the next one, you would be the next one. So what if you took a step, step back, just acknowledged God's good kindness and grace to you now? Now, this, now let me be clear. This doesn't mean that God delights in your bad season. But it does mean that he is working for good, your good and his glory in your season. The teacher and, um, and the author of this poem, he lists some very terrible seasons. Seasons of death, sorrow, destruction. These are things that God hates, but in his sovereignty, he even uses these bad seasons for good. Seasons are intentional. And if seasons are intentional, the question that we need to ask ourselves today is if God has ordained a season in my life, how do I live faithfully and with wisdom in the season God has given me? I don't want to wish this one away. I want to live faithfully in the one God has given to me. I was reading this week about a chef named Alice Waters. She's famous for writing a book called You Are What You Eat. She opened a restaurant in Berkeley, California in the 1970s that was very famous. And her whole, um, one of her main principles was this idea of seasonal cooking and seasonal eating. So her, her restaurant is based on the idea that we're going to cook what is harvested in that season. So what is coming to us in the fall? Let's cook that. What's coming to us in the spring? Let's cook that. So the question she's asking is, how do I cook with skill what this season has given to me? And I think it's a similar question of how to live faithfully in our seasons of life. Not how do we eat seasonally, but how do we live seasonally? What skills do I need to live faithfully now? <clears throat> you see, discipleship to Jesus is not simply answering the question, what do I do? It's what do I do now? God, what are you calling me to do in this season? So this afternoon, I want to draw out three skills and three questions that we are going to need to live faithfully in whatever season God has you in. The first skill is discernment. And the question here is, what season am I in? If I'm going to live faithfully in the season, I have to know what season I am in. Discernment is both active and passive. You see, in one sense, discernment is passive. We receive it from God. He leads, he speaks, he provides. But in another, discernment is active. We seek, we pray, we listen, we make ourselves available and awake to God. We pay attention to him. You see, most of us do not even slow down long enough to ask the question, God, what season do you have me in? We expect all good seasons. God, I'm expecting another good season. Up and to the right, God. No problems, no suffering. Do we step, take a step back and say, God, I want to be faithful. So where do you have me now? What do you have for me in this season? I think of John 16, 3, where Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, 
He will guide you into all truth. You see, if you are in Christ, it means the Holy Spirit dwells within you. We have all the resources we need for discernment, right? We have the ability to meet with God, commune with him, to listen to his voice if we would just slow down long enough to hear it. The philosopher Jamie Smith, he writes about discernment. He said this, it's like living amid the cacophony of the modern world and finally discerning the beat of the spirit in history and knowing how to dance in time. I love this music metaphor. We live in a noisy world, many voices, many songs playing all around us at all times. But when we begin to discern seasons, what happens is we put our ear to the ground and we say, God, what is the tune that you're playing? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna block out all of the noise, all of the distractions, God, and I wanna know what you are doing. We slow down, we listen for the beat, we find the tempo of the song, and then we dance in step with the Spirit as we follow Jesus. So we say, hey, is this a season of celebration, or mourning, listening, learning, a season of speaking up? Is it a season of starting something new? Is it a season of transition, a season of scaling back or moving forward, slowing down or speeding up? God, what are you doing now? You see, the God that we see in the scripture is a God who is moving in our world and he looks at his children and he invites them into his work. See, our job is not to take the initiative because God has already taken the initiative. Our job is to step back and listen. God, you are doing a work in me in the season. How can I join you in that? God, I know you want to do a work through me in this season. How do I join you in that? So what time is it? What season is it? It's not just July. It's not just a month before the kids go back to school. It's not just around, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon. God, what season, kairos moment of my life am I in? What season is the Holy Spirit calling me into? So the first skill is folk, uh, discernment. The second skill that we need to live faithfully in our season is focus. What is required of me now? You see, any season that you live through will have at least two parts. One of those parts is something God is going to do in you that you take away into the next season. But another part is what God is going to do through you. What does God require of me right now? What do I need to focus my attention on? And that doesn't mean that we drop all of our other responsibilities, but it does mean that we have the humility to step back and focus on the few things that God is calling us to. It should free us up. Doesn't mean that what God is saying is easy. It may be really hard. For example, I know that for the next 14 years, I will be in a long season of parenting. In 14 years, my youngest child will be going to college, maybe. She'll be leaving. 
So I know that that's a season I have to prepare for. That's a season I have to live fully in. That's a season I have to be aware of. Some of you have been in a season of caring for your aging parents. And you're thinking, you know what? This is not a season that I really put into my life map. You know, I didn't plan on this. Attending for their medical care, getting their prescriptions, caring for their daily needs, setting up their living situation, being a daily presence with them. And you're like, God, this is not what I planned. But God is like, yeah, but this is the season that you're in right now. So I need you to focus. You're going to have to say no to a lot of other good things because I'm actually calling you to focus on this one thing in this season. Others of you maybe are in a season of illness or caring for somebody with illness. And you think, again, God, this is not part of the plan. I got other priorities. I got other good things. And God somehow just speaks into our situation and says, those good things can wait because the season that you're in right now is recovery. The season that you're in right now is helping that loved one get better. The writer Ian Forster said it this way. We must be willing to let go of the life we had planned so as to receive, have the life that is waiting for us. You see, so often when we look at God's seasons in our lives, they are ones that we did not see coming. And we have to put aside what we were planning and what we were expecting, and we have to receive and live fully into what he's given to us. We could waste all of our time wishing for the next season. Or we can invest our time focused on what God has called us to do. Look at verse 12 with me. He gives us some more advice on how we focus. He said this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. So he's given us some more guidance on how to focus. Regardless of your season, he says, here are the basics. I need you to be joyful, and I need you to do good. Be joyful, do good. Be joyful, do good. What about this hard season? Be joyful, do good. What about this season of thriving? Be joyful, do good. It's an internal disposition and an external action. Be joyful. He's not talking about putting on your happy face and pretending like everything is good. That is not joy, that's dishonesty. He's not talking about pretending. He's talking about a real deep level, heart level contentment in God, where even if you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you know your shepherd. It's a joy that comes from knowing that regardless of your circumstances, our God is in control. My God cares for me. My God loves me. He is with me. He is for me. His promises are true so that even if we're walking through the valley, we say, God, I am content. I am joy. I don't like it. I do not like it. I'm not a, like a Christian masochist. I don't enjoy this. But God, I'll be joyful in it because you are God and I am not. Be joyful and do good. Do good. I love how vague this is <laughs> because every season requires something different from you. Doing good will look different for you in different seasons. So my question for you this afternoon is, where is God calling you to do good? 
What's, what would it look like for you to see this season not as a stepping stone, but as a place that God wants you to invest in his kingdom? Who is God calling you to bless? Who is God calling you to serve? Who is God calling you to love in this season? Be joyful, do good. Focus on the season that God has given to you and the task that he has for you in that season. Finally, third skill we're gonna need is patience. What do I need from this season? God, what do you want to do? in my life now? What are the ways you want to form me? What are the areas of sin that you need me to put away? The season of repentance. God, what grace are you wanting me to walk in? God, what gift that I've been ignoring are you wanting me to fan into flame? God, what do I need from this season? See, God is going to use you to bring transformation, but in every season, he wants to do a work of transformation in you. The only problem is it often takes much longer than we think, and we need patience. We say to God, this may not be what I expected. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I planned, but I want to live fully in this moment. I want to get from this season, everything that you have for me. I do not want to miss what you were doing in my life, wishing this hard season away. You cannot rush God's seasons, unfortunately. Because we, we want the hard ones to be done and we want to move on. We try to squirm out of the darkness and we maybe miss the work that God wants to do in that darkness. We spend our times trying to change the season when God is, in fact, trying to change us. God's kingdom cannot be rushed. I remember hearing an interview of another pastor, and he was talking about a season where he experienced uh, what he call a dark night of the soul, basically an extended period of pain and suffering and darkness where God feels absent. And this pastor was talking to his mentor, and he's like, how do I get you know, over this? How do I move past this? How do I move on to the next season? And his mentor said, first thing, do not rush through it. We cannot leap over our grief. Gosh, and that's what I want to do, isn't it? I want to leap over the season to the next one. Can I, God, is it possible to go around this season? And God's like, no, I have to teach you to walk through it. The Bible speaks of this posture a lot. In the Psalms, we see this posture played out with these words. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? God, are we there yet? God, why is this taking so long? God, can we move on to the next season yet? And he looks at us as a loving father and he calls us to patience. What he's doing in us is worth the wait. The passage, as we keep reading, actually gives us two very helpful truths. I know we're in a, when we talk about the, the seasons, it's difficult because we're like, God, this is hard. But there's two truths here I want to pull out that help us walk with patience. 
The first is this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Did you catch that phrase? He has made everything beautiful in his time. This is our hope as followers of Jesus. God is working all things for our good and his glory. He's making everything beautiful in its time. God, I want it beautiful now. Making it beautiful in its time, in my time, in my perfect time. But here's the beauty of what we see in the scripture is that somehow God is taking the darkness, the valleys, the suffering, the pain, the grief, and the mourning, and he is taking the difficulties and he's restoring them. He's a God of restoration. He doesn't want us just to sweep the season under the rug and move on. That's what I would do. No, he takes the difficulty and the brokenness, he sweeps it up, picks it up, and restores it and forms it back into something beautiful. It's like God is weaving a beautiful tapestry with our lives. And when he's doing it, it makes no sense. We see all these dark threads, we see all these weird patterns, and we say, God, I don't get it. This is not how I would do it. And then in his time, we step back, we flip the tapestry over, and we see a beautiful masterpiece. That's how God works. Like Paul says in Romans, we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, all things work together for good. So in these hard seasons, what we do is we step back and we say, I know who my God is, so I'm gonna trust him. God, this season is too long. You're not seemingly not answering my prayers, but I trust you. I trust that you are bringing this about, you're bringing beauty about in your timing. And listen, if we look closely here, we see the heart of the gospel. The darkest day in human history. It made no sense at all to anybody. Even Jesus' closest disciples were totally confused. The cross of Jesus. Lowest point history. But then we take a step back and we see those dark threads were actually a part of God's beautiful masterpiece that in fact he was using this dark thing to bring about the most beautiful and glorious thing in our world, the salvation of the world. He was bringing about grace and mercy and forgiveness and new life through the pain. So we can trust him. Second, we see the truth. Not only has he made everything beautiful in its time, but he has put eternity into man's heart. This is extraordinary. He has put eternity into your heart. And I, I think sometimes we, we hear that and we think, that doesn't sound like good news. That actually sounds like bad news. Right? Because I've felt that. I've felt the bottomless pit in my soul and I've tried to fill it and nothing worked. I tried the money. I tried the career. I tried the relationships. I tried the comfort. I tried the new apartment. I tried the car. Didn't work. Eternity's in our heart, and a 10% bonus, not going to cut it. But here's the beauty of what Ecclesiastes points us to. 
You see, he's pointing out the problem. He's pointing out the question that the rest of the scriptures answers. Yes, there is eternity in man's heart. Thank God that eternity came to earth. The eternal God stepped on the scene of human history, took on flesh, walked among us. Eternity in our midst. Dying on the cross, rising from the dead, ruling forever, our Christ stepped into our time frame, into our season, eternity in our midst. Galatians says it this way. Paul says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Just at the right moment, just at the right time, just according to his perfect plan, he sent Christ for us, and he's still doing that in our seasons. There's a thousand things that God wants to do in your life in these various seasons. One of them you can be certain of is he wants you to see and know Jesus. He wants the eternity in your soul to be filled up with the eternal love of God. He wants you to find him. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to love him. And he wants to pour out his love on you. He has put eternity in your hearts. And often in difficult seasons, what happens is that all the things we tried to fill our soul with are exposed. You're like, whoa, I thought that was working. It's not. And God graciously opens our eyes to see him. So here's the question for this afternoon. What season are you in? What season are you in? What is the Holy Spirit wanting you to focus on right now? What is the Holy Spirit wanting to do in you in this season? So let's take a moment. Let's pray. Let's pray for discernment. Let's pray for patience. Let's pray for focus. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful that in Christ, the eternal God came to earth, and he fills our eternal longings. We're thankful that you make everything beautiful in its time. That as we wait, when we look back on our lives, we will see that you were faithful, you were good, that you were taking even the brokenness and you were restoring it. We didn't need to live with shame because you, God, were restoring healing. God, give us discernment. We want to know what season we're in so we can live faithfully. We don't want to miss it. So God, what do you want us to focus on? This church, God, what do you want the church to focus on? As individuals, what do you want us to focus on? God, what are you wanting to do in us? What are the sins that you're wanting us to repent of? What are the, the gifts you're wanting us to walk in? What are the ministries you want us to lead in? Who are the people you are calling us to love? God, here we are. We are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.